all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Hebrews chapter 2. I've been enjoying this journey. Uh, and once more, I think I did it again. I always wonder why uh, my name is underneath the title, because it doesn't really fit, okay, just so you know. It, it was an accident that uh, our perfect Savior isn't Pastor Mike Sasso. I look at that every day, and I go, I, I, we got to figure out a better way to do that. So Hebrews chapter 2, we're covering verses 10 through 18 today, and I want to remind you that the theme of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ. And the goal of the writer is to convince these, these Jewish believers, don't give up. You're under persecution, and you're tempted to go back to your old religion. You're tempted to go back to the sacrificial system, rather than realizing Jesus, or holding on to Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I've told you last week, I believe it was, we all have something we could run back to. We all have something we could go, oh, I'm really tempted to just go back. It's hard being a Christian. And you want to run back to something. And the, the Hebrews is perfect for all of us to just let us know, don't turn back. Don't turn away from Jesus. Don't forsake Christ for Moses or the Torah or your old life, whatever it is. Don't trade Jesus in for anyone or anything else because Jesus is the greatest he is all-sufficient. He's all that we need. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. He's superior to everything and anyone. We've already seen that over and over again in the first chapter. And he's everything we need. So don't retreat from him because of the pressures or persecution. Don't retreat away from him because of temptation or persuasion of any kind. And that's why much later in this book, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 will say this. It'll be a while before we get to it, so I'll tell you now. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to apply this truth as we continue to study this book today. Lord, help us to hold on to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, you're holding on to us. But Lord, we don't ever want to be distracted or detoured away in another direction. As we study this book, we know that's what we're being exhorted in. 
So give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been looking at the supremacy of Christ, and it's been demonstrated from the very beginning of the very first chapter where Jesus is declared better than all the prophets of God. In times past, he spoke through the prophets, and now he's spoken through his son. Even in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1, he's even called the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of God. Who, who could you say that about except Jesus Christ? We see that he's been shown to be better than angels. In chapter 1, verse 6, he was even uh, called the son who is to be worshipped by the angels. And he's even, in verse 8, he's even called God by God. Okay? So we've, all, we've covered all this, but I can't help. I've got to keep reminding you these things. Now, in chapter 2, the writer explains that Christ became for a short time lower than the angels, to die for our sins, and, and to bring man, bring salvation to the mankind, okay? And that was found in verse 2, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 9. Let's just pick up there. He says uh, in verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We talked about that, but I just want you to know, you know, we are an evangelistic church, and I want you to know the gospel. You've seen by some of the videos today that we want the gospel to be preached throughout all the world because that's God's heart. And so I want to make sure you know. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone's a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, uh, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men and women, because all have sinned. Romans 6.23, The wages or the consequences of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I tell you what, folks, there's no greater love, the Bible says, that one would lay down his life for his friends, and that's what Jesus did for you. One more, and I want you to know this, and as a matter of fact, uh, you could share this with all your friends. Romans 10, 9 through 13, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to keep reading, but I want to tell you something. Listen how simple this is. If you join the right church and jump through all the right hoops and keep all the rules of that church from beginning to end, you might go to heaven. No. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I'm so glad he made it so easy that even I could get saved. He goes on to say, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The heart and the mouth. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Listen one more time. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about which church you join. It's not about which rules you obey. Yes, once we get saved, we want to live a life of obedience. Of course, I'm not, I'm not preaching being a, 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 
a wild sinner, but we accept Christ, then we're saved, and then we live according to how he wants us to. So for those who believe that Jesus is just a man, and uh, who, you know, they also, they believe that Jesus is just a man, and they misjudge his importance and his supremacy. Today's text that we're going into today, it clarifies why Jesus had to become lower than the angels in order to accomplish his mission. And I made your fill-ins really simple. And there's a little bit more for notes today, but your first fill-in is this. There's four reasons Jesus had to become a man. Number one, his humanity enabled him to regain man's lost dominion. The words are man's lost dominion. We talked about this last week from verse 5 to 9. Now I have a confession to make. I listen to a lot of uh, teachers and I read a lot of commentaries readying my heart for Sunday morning, making sure I'm not missing anything. And I stole the outline today from Warren Worsby. Okay, now, uh, I, I'm going to give you a whole lot more from a whole lot of other people and even from the things the Lord has shown me, but this outline, the four reasons, it's Warren Worsby's. So maybe you might want to pick up one of his commentaries. But his humanity enabled us to regain man's lost dominion. We looked at this last week, verse 5 through 9. So now next, let's move to verse 10 and we'll see what else is coming. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all things of whom are all things, and by whom are all things. Let me just stop there. Uh, this verse actually declares, it's talking about God. As a matter of fact, some of your translations, I was looking it up in the New Living. It's, as for, it's fitting for God, from whom all things and for whom all things. It makes it clear. Some of your modern translations make it clear who it's talking about. Um, it's God who created all things, and it's God who all things are for. Yet, if you've been paying attention as we've been going through the Bible, this book and the entirety of the New Testament clearly declares that Jesus created all things, and all things are by him and for him. So the deity of Christ is inescapable. And I put a bunch of the verses to support that in my notes. The small group leaders have a copy of my notes if you want to go deeper into that. Um, so, by whom are all things, for whom are all things. It could be applied to God the Father and God the Son. The deity of Christ is seen everywhere in the scriptures. But it goes on in verse 10 to say, in bringing many sons to glory. Okay? To bring many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay. We're gonna, I'm moving slow on this first verse. You know, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I move slow the whole time. But I'm going to try to cover 18, uh, through verse 18 today. But notice that the writer is declaring that Jesus came to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And he's called the captain of their salvation. Now remember the Jewish conception of a Messiah where he was going to be a great military leader. He was going to overthrow all oppression. In their case, they thought the Roman government. And he was supposed to come in like a warrior and and overthrow and set up the God's kingdom. But here, the writer of Hebrews calls him, he is a captain, but he's the captain of our salvation. And it's not of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said a lot of things straight. And so what he's doing is he's a great military leader and he, he is bringing sons to glory, but not the way they thought, okay? 
But the inspired writer of Hebrews reveals how this is to be done, and this is where people have the most trouble. Look at verse, verse 10 again. It says, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Oh, great. I'm going to help you. How am I going to help you? Well, I'm going to suffer. Uh, we want a better way, right? I mean, if you ever want to have victory and you want to get something done, you want to get it done through conquering, through being an overcomer, through suffering. That just doesn't seem to fit. And that's, people don't like that. So let me read to you now the next in Warren Worsby's outline, part two, the, the second reason of the four that, that Jesus had to become a man. And it's your fill-in. His humanity enabled him to bring many sons to glory. It's a phrase there, many sons to glory. And we're going to look at this. What exactly does this mean? And how does it look? See, we're all fallen sons and daughters of God. Fallen from glory. But Jesus brings us back where we were supposed to be. Back to glory. Before the fall, man and women, Adam and Eve, were innocent and they were without sin. But I think I even told you last week that now in redemption, we're made even better than Adam and Eve were. They were innocent. They were without sin. But being brought back through the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we're now being brought back to be even in better condition than our original state. Now we've got the Holy Spirit and we've got the divine nature of God. And, and matter of fact, I, we talked about that last week, but there's 2 Peter 1, 4, that we've been given the divine nature. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I'm not going to go on to all these, and, and 5.21, that I always tell you, that God made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Adam and Eve were innocent. Born again children of God are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Oh, we're, you know what? God's the Redeemer. We're in a better place than before. Better than in the garden, okay? Now, Something else needs to be explained here when it comes to this. There's a saying, I don't know if you caught it, he's made perfect through suffering. Wasn't Jesus already perfect? Well, he had, he had to be made perfect. Well, you've got to understand this. He was already perfect in the divine sense. But his mission as captain of our salvation and author of our salvation was incomplete and imperfect. Matter of fact, the word perfect in verse 10 it comes from the Greek uh, word that means finished or complete. So you might just say Jesus, his work was made complete through suffering. You see, it's not like Jesus was, was imperfect till the cross. Uh, so in other words, the context of this verse, Jesus was the author of our salvation. He finished or completed his mission through suffering. And you might say Jesus became the perfect Savior through suffering. Now, you got to see that, because sometimes we just think really getting something done is never failing and never suffering, and then you're successful. Sometimes the way to success in God's view, for you and I as well, you got to go through it first, you know what I mean? you got to go through some suffering. And so, matter of fact, let me read you a quote I found from Spurgeon that I appreciate. Spurgeon says this, We know that he had only been God, yeah, excuse me, we know that had he only been God, yet still he would not have been fitted for the perfect Savior unless he became a man. Man had sinned, man must suffer. 
It was man in whom God's purposes had been for, for a while defeated. It must be in man that God must triumph over his great enemy. He had to become a man. He had to go through this process. He had to suffer in order to save us. Now, we'll get off of verse 10. Verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. See, because of the work of Jesus Christ, all who believe are born again and have become legitimate sons and daughters of God. And so we, because of that, we could all be called Jesus' brethren. Now, something I learned, I was telling Linda the other day, as I study the scriptures to teach them, I study more carefully than if I'm just studying on my own. I always learn new things, even if it's just a little, a little tidbit. And one of the things I learned new today, or this week, as I'm studying, is that nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus call his followers brethren till after the resurrection. He calls them friends. He calls them servants. But not until after the resurrection he does he call them brethren. As a matter of fact, one of the samples is when the women left the empty tomb wondering what was going on. In uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, it says, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. It's like now I'm not ashamed to call you brethren because now it's possible for you to be born again, to be sons and daughters of God. Verse 12 then goes on to say, uh, <clears throat> quoting Psalm 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So, so what we're going to see, and I've told you this many times, the writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament hundreds of times because he's speaking to the Jews. And so in, in every chunk we study those quotes from the Old Testament. Here he's quoting Psalm 22, and if you remember, the entirety of the Psalm 22 was actually quoted on the cross, where Jesus quoted Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right out of Psalm 22. And you could read about it in Matthew chapter 27 and the other Gospels. Now this Psalm, Psalm 22, it, 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 the Messiah identifies himself with all those who place their faith in God, calling them my brethren. And in verse 13, he says, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the child, children God has given me. Now, now he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. If you really want to go deeper, go back and read, look up all these, the context of these. It's actually the Messiah speaking in Isaiah chapter 8. I'm not going to go back to all of it, but let me just tell you. Uh, <clears throat> now, you've got to see the prophetic fulfillment of all the messianic promises of the Old Testament come forth in Jesus every step along the way. But before we move to the third reason that Jesus became a man, let me just jump back to verse 11 once more. Verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. We're all of the same Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. There's a word that you could all miss in there. And I want, actually I gave extra questions for the small groups to talk about this word, sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Oh, people, it's a holy word. You know, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, sanctified, and baptized with the Holy Spirit. We throw these words around, right? Sanctified means set apart. If you go to a bird sanctuary, it's a place where it's safe for the birds. 
They're not hunted there. A sanctuary is a place you're set apart to get away. But sanctified in God's eyes is to be set apart and made holy, made fit for the kingdom. And here we're told that it's Jesus who makes us holy and he makes us one with him. And what separates man from God is sin. Jesus took care of that problem and made us one. And when Jesus wipes away our sins, he sets us apart. He makes us holy. We become one with him, one with the Father. And then he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And he's removed our shame. And he's given us unity with the Father and the Son. I'm going to give you a couple more verses on this because I love this concept. And there's some confusion here. Because some people think, well, I don't feel very holy. I, I still sin now and then. And I'm not sanctified. Maybe I'm not saved. And people get messed up with this. So let me take a moment to explain this. I like the way Peter put it in, in 1 Peter 2.10. 2, Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so it's important to understand we have obtained mercy. Now, there's, there's a difference. Here's where people get messed up. There's a difference between positional sanctification and practical sanctification. Now, I'm not one who usually uses all kinds of big theological terms, but I don't think this is that big. Positional means he's made us holy. He's called us his own. He's caused us to be born again, and we are his positionally. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are now righteous positionally. But practically, do you feel real righteous and Holy Ghost holy? Okay. There's a difference between positional, which who you are, and practical, which how you live. Now, of course, the goal of Christ in us is that we, as we live our Christian life, we learn to act like who we are. We learn to be like what God has made us to be. He's already made us holy, but now we've got to live holy. There's a little bit of a process here. Sanctification is a process. You'll talk about it in your small groups. But let me read a couple more verses on this. Hebrews 10. I don't want to wait till we get to 10 before you get this. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I thought we were sanctified. What do you mean we're being sanctified? You are perfected forever but you're still in the process of it being practical, everyday, obvious, okay? Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are positionally, we are holy. And you don't have to cowl away when you, when you pray. You could look up and come boldly before the throne of grace. You could say, thank you, Jesus. You died for my sins. You bore my sins so that you gave me your righteousness, and now I could be righteous in your sight by your righteousness. is wonderful. Let me read uh, Hebrews 10, 14 one more time in the New Living. I like this. Listen. For by one offering, he has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I hope you could get this. Because if you're realistic, if you're honest, you're going to go, I ain't holy. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to go, well, I'm, I don't feel very righteous, and I don't think I always, I don't talk righteous. Keep, keep on going. Or as, as Dory always said in Finding Nemo, Nemo keep on swimming. 
keep moving forward. Because that's God's process. It's, it's unfolding in you. I like that. He's forever made perfect. You're already there. Those who are being made holy. That's a process. But don't, don't fight the process. Don't drag your feet. Let's, let's go along with God's will here. Okay, now, for the third reason that Jesus had to become a man, and this is your next fill-in, his humanity enabled him to, first fill-in, disarm Satan. And you'll find that word in our text. To disarm Satan and deliver us from death. Oh boy, I'm looking forward to the day when there's no more dying, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. I'm looking forward to that, but we're not there yet either, are we? Okay, because <clears throat> we're not. Hold on. I have to learn to wait for the thing to power down. <clears throat> if I have to cough, I go, wait, let it power down. Okay, here we go. Um, his humanity enabled, us, enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver us from death. Now, a little bit more explanation here. Let's look at verse 14 in Hebrews 2 in our text today. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Now, I don't know if I'm talking about you, but I know a lot of people, their big fear is death. I think hopefully when you're born again, you're not afraid to die anymore. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't, don't, uh, don't want a, the, the unpleasant process. <laughs> Lord, take me in my sleep like you did with Uncle John, not like his four passengers yelling and screaming, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not afraid to die, but I, you know, we all fear that process of pain. But really, hopefully, if you're born again, you'd know the Lord. Death no longer has a hold on you. And since the children of God are humans, made of flesh and blood, what the scripture says here, Jesus likewise had to become human, become like them, and share their nature. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the lover of my soul. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.